Hi, and welcome to another episode of GovCast. I'm T. Dow. Today, we'll be talking to Mike Wallace and John Reel from the city of Tulsa, Oklahoma fleet. Uh, we'll be discussing the city's 2021 ransomware incident, how the fleet operation handled it, and what they've learned from the experience. Um, but before we start, remember to connect with us on social media. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss future episodes of GovCast. You can also find these episodes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you'd like to listen on the go. Uh, and now here is my conversation with Mike and John. All right. Can you first briefly tell us the timeline of what happened and how your team found out about it? Sure. So the city of Tulsa experienced a ransomware attack uh, about the first week of May of 2021. So for us, we came in like it was going to be a normal Monday morning in fleet. And we discovered that we had no FMIS system. We had no phones. We had no printers. We had no internet. We had no Wi-Fi, no email. So basically, it was like back to the Stone Age. We started from um, kind of regrouping, figuring out how things would go. And of course, this wasn't just fleet. This was citywide, so all of the customers we support, they were all dealing with the same thing at the same time. So it kind of, obviously bringing vehicles in for your scheduled PM wasn't a priority. We weren't seeing things come in, which was probably a good thing because we were trying to figure out how you roll forward without having the resources that you've been used to um, up to this point. So that's kind of how it, how it started off as far as figuring out not knowing any type of time frame for resolution, how you continue to communicate both with all of our locations, with uh, customers, and how you go about providing services. Okay, and uh, let's talk about how it affected operations. Like so much uh, fleet data is computerized, as you mentioned, and if you don't have access to that, that's, that's very disruptive. Um, can you talk about the changes that you had to make to your operation during this time? Yeah, so fortunately we had some, uh, we broke out the old three-part carbon copy work orders from ages ago. And that's where some of the senior guys got to show old technology to new guys. Uh, you know, they're used to everything being on computers. And you know, we went back to handwritten work orders where you tear a part off and you give it the parts and the service rider keeps a part. The mechanic has a part. So uh, we started out that way. Uh, developed a workflow process to where everybody knew what would happen, how we you know, we were fortunate to have storekeepers who knew their parts room because they have no ability to look up inventories or know what they had. They just knew what was on the shelf and and uh, systems of trying to make sure you get the right part. We relied on our vendors. You know, everybody goes back to their cell phone because the first thing you did was picked up your desk phone and tried to call somebody and realize hey, the phone doesn't work. So it's good knowing people's phone numbers, knowing who to reach out to. Um, the, you know, not having access to vehicle histories or when you came back in on Monday, picking up where you were on a repair. Um, those were all the challenges that we had to work through kind of getting started off. But uh, the guys adapted really well. We were lucky to have a team was really able to pull things together in a hurry. Um, you know, one of the biggest things, biggest effects was uh, vehicle diagnostics. Now everything's internet driven it's all based off of wi-fi with scanners and computers that uh 
do your diagnostics and not having that, I'll let John kind of pick up on that part of it about what we had to do to, to build a MiFi system and get that going. Yeah, part of, you know, to just kind of elaborate a little bit on what Mike said, uh, in addition to our own, you know, our own fleet maintenance software, we also lost our fuel system in the event, you know, you know, fuel tracking. So we, we had, you know, just like the old carbon company, we had to stick clipboards with notepads out on our fuel islands and had, you know, we turned the pumps on and relied on everyone that was obtaining fuel to write down what their unit number was and what type of fuel they got and the quantity they got. And at the end of each day, you know, we had one person that went around to all the fuel islands and collected them and they brought them back to us. And um, we had to track our fuel that way on manual pieces of paper. Um, getting some functionality back up, um, we managed to obtain some, um, they're like whole home Wi-Fi devices um, that allowed multiple users to connect to them. And one of the advantages that we had going into this is that all of our technicians had devices that are called Chrome bits, which are little Chrome devices that were not connected to our city network. So as long as they could get on a Wi-Fi connection, they could access the sites they needed to access. So we brought these, you know, we brought MiFi devices out into the shop and we had we had people using their own phones as hotspots and all the little tricks of the trade that that when we pulled out to whatever we had to do to get people online in a way so they could access the sites they needed. And you're talking about diagnostic for diagnostic? Diagnostic, yeah, all the stuff, all the stuff that our guys need to to fix the vehicles. Yeah. Um, how long did it take to before it was resolved and and uh, what happens after? So of course the city had to build a network from the ground up and, and fleet wasn't obviously the first priority when you're dealing with the safety and security and convenience of citizens. So uh, we were on that list, but it took a little while. We were down for about two months total. So it was, and it happened to coordinate with the end of our fiscal year. So not only did we have the situation of needing to get systems back up and have things going, but it also was the uh, the need to close out our fiscal year, which meant we had to get uh, nearly 2,000, actually nearly 3,000 work orders entered into the system, completed, closed, and uh, charged out within about uh, within about a two-week time frame. We had to enter 15,000 fuel transactions. So we even looked at trying to bring in temps because we had about a week to do that, and uh, you know, by the time you train people to to work a system that they're not familiar with, then to um, to get that data in, realize temps wouldn't really work. We had to utilize our own resources and kind of uh, work a lot of overtime and train people to pull within our within our own resources around the group. So it was quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of effort to get all that back done. up and running in uh, July. Right. Yeah, we had everything ready to go by the start of the new fiscal year on July 1st. Um, I think this is something that'll be hopefully beneficial to our listeners. Uh, what have you done or what can other fleets do to prepare for something like this happening in the future? 
Um, one thing I've done is is I've taken it taken knowledge that don't take for granted that that data is going to be there. When you leave on Friday, don't take for granted that information is still going to be there on Monday. So what I've started doing is at the end of every single month, I've got our FMIS system automatically running reports that uh, of things that we would have found useful if we'd had during the um, the ransomware attack, things like just a complete list of everything that's due on all vehicles, a complete inventory report of, of all the parts in all of our shops, um, a work order export, you know, all of all of the, the existing work orders. So that if this were to ever happen again, all we'd have to do is go back to the last time and those reports run and they automatically go to our email. Uh, our email now is all web-based. So as long as we can get online, we can access these reports. So things that we didn't have then, we would have now. You know, if, if it happens again, we will have a list of all the vehicles and what's due on them. And we'll have inventory reports for all of our all of our various locations. And we'll have all the information and all the vehicles all at one time and all the work order statuses of all the vehicles all at one time. So just putting things in place to prepare for it to happen and being ready when it does happen. And these reports, it's just a one-time setup? Uh, yeah, it's a one-time setup. I, I've got them set up and they, and they basically run the last day of the month. Um, so when we, when we come in on the first, they're all sitting right there. And yeah, it's, it's, they're just automatic reports that run with all the various information that we, information that we wanted to have, but didn't have access to when we needed it. So. Um, any other tips? No, you know, out of this process, I think most fleets, uh, you know, you have a disaster recovery plan. If you have a flood or you have a disaster recovery plan that you go out and pull out, if you have a tornado or, you know, a lot of natural disasters, we had one for a, pandemic you know how you deal with that but never we never had reached the point where what if we had a ransomware but now we have one we know what uh we know what you have to do and that's something that i wouldn't want any of the other fleet community to ever have to face uh for having to go through that it was it was quite an interesting two months to to go through i think that is all the questions i have for today uh thank you both for your time um i do want to hear from our viewers so let us know down in the comments how you're preparing for or have dealt with hacking incidents. Um, remember to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes of GovCast. And we'll see you next time. Bye.